uh, I just want to thank you for allowing me to talk to uh, your audience, man. This is a lot of fun. I've been waiting a long time for this, Dennis. We'll have you back. So, for sure. but before we go, hey, I got. Uh, let's interview Dennis Mitchell for a bit. <laughs> oh God. Hi, I'm Dennis Mitchell. This is something to carp about. On our last episode, I was interviewing Alex Robles, the purveyor of the Outstanding In My Grow podcast. And we were just getting to where we were wrapping up the interview when he said, let's interview Dennis instead. Okay, let, let's see. Dennis, can you remember like the first LP you bought? Oh, sure. What was that? It was Help by the Beatles. Shut up. It was $2.99 at the local record store. It was within a couple of weeks of buying my first 45 RPM single, which was Yesterday by the Beatles. It was 49 cents because it was in the top 10. Uh, so yeah, Record Geek from 1965 on. So if it wasn't in the top 10, how much would it have been? I think 99 cents. Oh, they, they oh knocked wow. Off. They were half price if they got into the top 10. No Which kidding. is kind of weird when you think about it. It, you, it would be the reverse now, wouldn't it? If the record got more popular, wouldn't they charge more for it? <laughs> I love that. No, I like that system. Shoot. Yeah. You know, the more popular, the more people have access. I like that. So what was that Beatles song that you heard that you're like, whoa. Oh, uh, wait a minute. <clears throat> I could name any of the tunes on, on the album, Meet the Beatles. And it was a case where the kid next door had the album. I wasn't even allowed to watch the first Ed Sullivan appearance uh, because my dad was, you know, freaked out about it. Was he freaked out about the Beatles or TV? The Beatles. Oh, oh no, we had a brand new TV. The Beatles were not allowed to be on it. So, really? Uh, the second week of Ed Sullivan, I snuck next door and got to, got to see it uh, on my friend's TV. And then we went into his room and he had one of those silver tone fold out record players uh -huh. that would drop the albums you know right you could yeah put up oh like yeah a, and we put a stack meet, of them meet the beatles and uh it won't be long stands out as just like a lightning bolt um just every song on that album was just like what's next it's going to be a great revelation and uh, i think i wore out two or three copies when i finally got my own Man, and back then, I mean, if you missed it on television, you yeah. missed it. Oh, uh, the school, there, the schoolyard the next day was brutal. There, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. There were no reruns. They weren't. Uh, no, not for years. You know, if you, you if you missed it, that was it. There was a. Uh, yeah, I don't think they reran those first appearances on Ed Sullivan literally for years after they happened. So yeah, you're right. It was it was one and done, and I was uh, shamed for a week. Uh, but then caught up and That's got perfect. to see the, the second one, and uh, and I was kind of in. The, I was kind of forgiven after that. <laughs> after that, you're in the loop. You're brought back into the crowd. So, yeah. So all right, let's flash forward years. How do you get into disc jockeying and just playing music? Uh, that came from listening to it uh, every day in the AM radio. I was the kid had the AM radio under my pillow at night. Uh, with the little earplugs so that I wouldn't miss anything. And it was this wonderful uh, blend of R&B and country western and pop and rock. Uh, it was like there were no barriers. If it was a good record, it got played. Uh, that inspired me. Uh, and, and anytime there was a remote broadcast in Riverside where I grew up, I showed up and was just completely entranced by seeing these guys in their blazers and they had two record players right there two turntables and a little cart machine play cartridges i was just i was just completely uh, drunk as a kid on that and wanted that for my life and wanted that to be my career so so then what was your first radio gig i mean how do you oh uh, in in high school ramona high school riverside california had a radio club on campus and the school had an agreement with a local radio station in Riverside. It was K-A-C-E, F-M. 
And every Saturday morning, me and the club members got to go and do a half-hour show. So we spent our week planning this little show. Had a little top ten. Had school news. Had a, you know, it was a little broadcast. That was my that was my baptism of fire right there. Um, uh, I went to college and I went to San Bernardino Valley College, and was on the air there at KVCR and did some TV there. Did some sports on TV and um, and and other stuff. Great great experience. Uh, and then I just I went out into the world, and it took a little while to get my radio career really going. Uh, but it came from being around others who uh, were were sucked in like I was, like I described to you, going out to see guys doing it live. Uh, it, it gets in your blood and, and never leaves. And um, through the period of the 70s, uh, I hung around with a lot of radio people before I got brave enough to actually, you know, throw my own two cents in and try for a career, which happened when I moved to Las Vegas. That was when I got my first full-time radio gig, changing tapes on an overnight all-music station. It's it's the typical broadcast school story that you see. So, uh, yeah, and it becomes another sense. Uh, it's when I established Breakfast with the Beatles. It's doing a program, um, knowing how to bring all the pieces together in such a way that it's entertaining uh, and informative. So, yeah. So, so then what year do you start Breakfast with the Beatles? 1991. Uh, I was uh, working at KKLZ in Las Vegas. It was the top rock station at the time. Um, now, did you intend for it to always be a like weekly show, or were you just going to do a one-off to see how it goes? Well, they had a show called Breakfast with the Beatles in place, and a guy was doing it each week, a, a dear friend who's left us since. Um, uh, but he really would just play Beatles records here and there and, and talk only occasionally, and it wasn't really an in-depth you know, study of and uh, embrace of the Beatles and their music and the culture and everything. And one day the program director came and said, hey, would you like to take over that show and do it? It's a, it's an hour and you, you can just do whatever you want and play the Beatles and tell us, you know, something. I dove in with both feet. And I, quite honestly, I had not really been listening to my Beatles albums, but maybe every couple of years uh, in 1991. Uh, I went back to school. I, I boned up on all my Beatles knowledge. I listened, re-listened to all of my records, got way, way into it. And it was a weekly show there. Uh, changed radio stations a few times, kept the name Breakfast with the Beatles. So wherever I went, I could, I could at least use that. And um, every single week for 31 years now, I've been cranking out a little show about the Beatles. It expanded to two hours uh, against my will. Um, in around 2012, and for the last uh, yeah, 10 years or so, it's been a two-hour show. And I brought it to K-Tide, made him my, my uh, new flagship station here in Santa Barbara, here in the Santa Barbara area, and I've uh, never looked back. Like I said, uh, there have been a couple of times I wondered if, if it was still viable and if I should still be doing it, but I'm sure glad I still am. First of all... Um out of everything you just said, that is amazing. A 31-year show, a run with it. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. It's man. the Beatles, you know? It's, uh, uh, people ask how he does. It's like, well, it's Beatles music. It's kind of hard to screw up. <laughs> but you can screw up. And I do. I have made mistakes. It's like if, you, if you're if you wrong on a fact or you're wrong on uh, any, any uh, particular thing that is fact. Like I said, we all have our opinions about what is great what was this or that about the Beatles but if you're wrong on a fact you're gonna hear about it these are very very knowledgeable people it's like religion to a lot of them the Beatles existence the arc from 1962 to 1970 is like a bible and they know all the dates and they know all the places and they know all the people and it's like those are my people uh, so I, I must serve them well <laughs> so 
So how, how's the tribe reacting to the new uh, Beatles movie that's been on cable lately? Oh, enormously positively, uh, and I'm one of them. I was, I was so happy to see this. Um, Let it be, uh, in my opinion, was a great movie at the time. It was, it was what we needed to see. Um, it, but the contrast, the first thing I did after I watched Get Back was go back and watch Let It Be because of, of uh, so much information is in Get Back, and it's good information. And it, when I watched Let It Be, the first realization, almost immediate, is it doesn't tell you the story of what's going on. You see them recording an album. You see them bickering a little bit. You see things happen through this movie. Nothing is really explained to you. Uh, George Harrison quit the group uh, a couple of weeks into this thing. That's not in Let It Be. They don't tell you that at all. When the sessions switched from Twickenham Studios to Apple Studios, uh, it was like night and day. Everything changed. They got behind the project and became the energized, beautiful Beatles that we loved. You don't, in Let It Be, they just happen to show up at a different studio. They don't tell you that that's what was going on behind the scenes. Get Back is priceless. Um, and it's been funny to watch uh, the reviewers. You can tell the reviewers who weren't born yet. Uh, because they're the ones saying it's tedious and too long, there's too much stuff in there. Well, no, no, the Beatle people uh, feel the opposite. It's like more. We would like more. And it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD February 8th, uh, reportedly with more footage, but that seems to be, there's uh, that might not have been correct. But either way, eight hours of the Beatles recording an album is is um, manna. It's just been the greatest thing ever. And And the Beatle community, I've heard very few naysayers. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, because I, I'm not part of the Beatles community. I like the Beatles, but I'm, they're not, um, you know, they're just, they're just not my my whole thing, you know? I understand. Uh, and, uh, but, I have, but whatever I, I, you I do like, you have them to thank. Oh, Everybody well, realizes this, well, at least. Well, I mean, I don't know about everybody, but I know I have a favorite Beatles album. That's Abbey Road. All right. You know, and... Um, you know, oh darling on that. When I first heard it, I think I was 17. I was blown away. Yeah. I was all like, wow, this is the Beatles. And the thing is, I was living in Mexico at the time. I found that tape at like a swap meet. And it wasn't even the original tape. It was like someone's bootleg tape that they were selling there. So, uh-huh. and at any rate, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. After Abbey Road, I became... Interested in the Beatles, you know, but uh, yeah, it, it eight hours of the Beatles is a lot, man. It is. Uh, I, you know, I tried to, I, I sat through part of it. I was like, whoo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that uh, first episode is grueling and, and brutal. It really is hard to watch. Uh, none of them was happy. Uh, they all hated on Paul. You could see that this was Paul's deal and they were all pretty much humoring him. John didn't give a crap and George was just pissed. So when they make the switch, I don't know how far you've gotten into it, but in part two, when they switch to Apple Studios, mm-hmm. they meet with George twice. Once he tells him, F off. Second time, he says, okay, some things are going to have to change here to get me back in this. And it saved the project and, and you know, turned everything around. So are they also re-releasing, did I hear right, they're re-releasing the, the rooftop concert? The rooftop concert is a significant part of Get Back. It's in part three, and it's the whole thing. It's a good... I think 48 minutes or so. Oh, really? Uh, whereas in Let It Be, you get finished versions of like six or seven songs, the songs they did. Well, in Get Back, you have two and three versions of the songs as they redo them right there on the... So you get the actual whole thing. They are, uh, as as we record this, we're recording this in uh, mid-January, 
Um, they are getting ready to release just the rooftop concert segment in a 60-minute feature in IMAX theaters nationwide. So tickets are on sale for that right now. Timing's not very good, uh, but that's what that's the very latest as far as the rooftop concert. They're going to put it on IMAX. And we're all still kind of waiting to see what the bonus features are going to be with the DVD and the home video and the Blu-ray uh, because, you know, there's just more stuff. Uh, and, and the Disney streaming thing has been fine, but it's hard to capture and you don't actually get a copy. Well, when we have a copy in our hands, you know, it becomes easier to scan these things, look for things, and then the bonus features, well, I'm really hoping for a lot. <laughs> and I know that is, it's already a lot, uh, but uh, Beatles fans tend to be greedy that way. Give us a little, we want a lot. Well, and, uh, and, and and like I said, uh, I'll have a copy when it gets here. And then, you know, and I've used audio from the Disney thing on my show already. Oh, wow. Uh, because some of it is so special. Uh, one of the moments, it's funny you'd mention, Oh Darling, there's a really great moment in the in Get Back where Paul does the song with a heavy echo slap back going. Hmm. And the story of that song was he would come in and do it once a day, only once, and, until he got it the way he wanted it. And he did it, He did a version huh. of the song every day. This one I thought was really great because it had a little echo slap back. Like I said, all the drama of his gritty vocal is there. Um, so that's a real say, highlight. I was going to say, I wonder if that's why, because it does seem like an emotional cut, at least the one on Abbey Road. I'm wondering if it's because, look, man, it's, he's, I don't know. He's Who shooting knows? his voice yeah. each time. Yeah, yeah it's like sure. you get this one shot. So yeah, yeah I, I think it's one of the, one of his finest tracks, uh, as a Beatle or not, uh, yeah. just one of his finest vocals. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Dennis Mitchell, host of <laughs> Breakfast with the Beatles. The last thing I expected when I invited you over. Oh, uh, no. To do oh, no. I, I had a whole plan here, brother. I'm like, oh, no. I'm going to get him on the record because I need to know the story. I have a couple more questions, man. So, okay. How many stations are you syndicated on Breakfast with the Beatles? About 80. I haven't counted wow. lately. It was 84 at wow. one point. I think that was the, the highest point. I'm on in New Zealand, I'm on in Australia, and I'm on in England. Uh, I don't think I'm on in Germany anymore. Uh, things change. Uh, but uh, dozens and dozens of very happy United States radio oh, stations. Hey. And I'm still adding them. I'm about to add one in Half Moon Bay. You know, um, fans come in waves, man. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that that whole, you don't know if you're on in Germany anymore, brother. It, it'll all come in waves somewhere else. And, um, and especially it, with all this new attention. Exactly. To it, this each content, time there's a new know. thing that comes with the Beatles. And that's when a couple stations knock on my door. Hey, are you still doing that show? We'd like to have a Beatles show, like a 50th anniversary of something. Well, it's, it's, it's not just that. But see, now you have with this streaming service of Disney having this new documentary on. Parents are playing it. Kids walk through in the background. Me and my wife were watching it two days later. My daughter's playing the Beatles and you don't. You got to understand something. I don't know if you remember when when your kids were teenagers. They like to marinate in a certain song mm -hmm. for weeks on end. Yeah. To nausea until you're like first time you hear it, you're proud. You're like, yeah, okay, kids are gonna be okay. That's all right. Yeah. Then after two weeks, you're like, please stop playing that goddamn song. <laughs> I like it, but I don't want to hear it anymore. I have a real good story for that era, for that time. Uh, my son's 33 now, I think. When he was about 16, 15 or 16, uh, I was working on my show in my studio in Las Vegas, and he came out in the living room and says, you know, it's really just not fair. You guys got the Beatles. And uh, I was so proud. And I, I had to laugh and I had to smile. I said, sorry, kid. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you I've, got Eminem. I, I, and and I, Eminem's a great artist and all that. But I, yeah, I, we got the Beatles. I think that's generational. A couple of years ago, my daughter said the same thing about... Um, 
I'm not sure if it, it was some some band out of the 90s, either Nirvana or somebody. She's like, yeah, what did we get? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, right now I can, you know, there's a couple of good bands that are still keeping rock and roll alive. You know, Greta Van Fleet, I like their stuff. Literally um, a couple, though. You got the Foo Fighters yeah. and uh, the Blasters. I mean, you got yeah. old timers that are still... Uh, out there doing their tunes that, we, that we've that we loved for so long. Yep. For crying out loud, Hot Tuna with Yorma Kalkinen still playing shows. But it's generational, like you say. But we're going to stop, take a little break right now, and we'll be back with more of Something to Carp About. Hi, this is Paul McCartney on behalf of Rad. If you're drinking, you can't drive my car or any car. And remember, don't drink and drive. It's just not worth it. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. It's something to carp about. I'm Dennis Mitchell, and in a very strange twist, Alex Robles is interviewing me. Speaking of playing shows, man, I read a headline about, you know how, and I know you're not a deadhead. Oh, but I'm into, I'm into going to a dead show. I really did love going to their shows. I've never, you know, my wife was a deadhead. I never got the opportunity um, I only saw different versions after uh, Jerry Garcia passed away. But at any rate, I just read the headline that they canceled their show, Dead and Company, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But they canceled them the day before it was supposed to go on, so they stranded a bunch of fans are stranded Ooh. in Mexico. Oh, that's the you know that's part of the hazard of being a deadhead or a fish head. People follow the band Fish around, do the same thing, oh, that's right, and yeah. record their shows. And wow. Um, I didn't know that. Ooh, that that's yeah. I read that. I was like, man, that's a, that's a tough one. But hey, wow. You know, well, our fellow cohort in Ojai, Ardas, uh, who does Grateful Grooves on yep. the radio. Uh, he's he, my he's my next one. I'm gonna try to you know uh, get an interview with because oh, but he's oh. so shy and reserved. I'm kidding. Uh, Ardas is just one of the best people, and uh, now Hot Tuna is his thing. I mean, uh, oh, is that right, dude? He just went up to Berkeley and catered their concert. Look, uh, man, backstage I'm, and, I've been and telling Yorma that guy, gave him props on stage. I've I mean. been telling that guy for years. I'm like, dude, you need to be catering stuff. What are you doing? Doing what you're doing, brother. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, he does he does a hard job. He has a physical labor kind of a job. And he and his wife are brilliant cooks. They're they're freaking amazing. Yeah, they're, they're um, you know, Super Bowl's coming up. We're all hoping he has a party, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, that guy <laughs> props to Ardos. All of his talent. That guy can cook the hell out of food. But the reason I brought that up, he he is the deadhead. Okay? Oh, yeah. He was the one I wanted to put a Grateful Dead show on K-Tide. They said, you have to talk to Ardas. Well, he, he doesn't, uh, he never plays dead in company. And he doesn't follow them around. And he, I think he's one of the That's... old school, original, first generation deadheads. It's like, well, when Jerry's gone, the whole thing is gone. Yeah, And can't. bless Bobby uh, for keeping it going and everything. It's great music and they, everybody still has a great time. But I get that principle. I get I, well, that. so do I because it's not the dead anymore. Right. Well, yeah. You know, it, it, it is something else. Yeah. It's and, again, almost like... and, and again, good for them. They're artists. They're making their living through their art. Love that. Beautiful. But I get where Ardas is coming from. You're a purist. This is where we're at. This is yeah. That's that's you know, and I get that, man. Um, 
Yeah, when you lose your front yeah. man, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a mixed bag. The dead can get away with it. It wasn't just Jerry. There yeah. were a lot of guys in that band, oh, yeah. and they were all outstanding musicians that put on great music, and they can still do those songs. But there's a, one example, uh, Rush, without Neil Ooh. Peart, they're not going to be, they're not Rush nope. anymore. No. Um, the, arguably, when Steve Perry left Journey, they're not Journey anymore, but they're still out there as they're an still, enterprise sure. and, and, and soldiering on. Uh, but, but you know, and I know we're kind of rambling here, but um, it gets back to... Uh, what you said about the dead and company fans in Mexico, those are the people that held up the flame and said, we don't care. It's a grateful yeah. dead and we're going. We're going for it, yeah. <laughs> hey, so bringing it back to um, Dennis, how have things changed? How, you've been doing radio for how long? Let's well, um, seriously, full-time, a little over 40 years. Okay. Yeah. 40 years. How is broadcasting different? Oh, I wish I hadn't asked that. Um, oh, come on. I, I, in, okay, how, in how, one way, it, it, it's, it's a lot better now because so many more people are hearing so many more things. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it, it was radio, um, I'm going to sound so old saying it. It was like it was all locked up into a little place for you. Everything you needed was at this one place that you could go get it. It was see? centralized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, depending on the kind of music you wanted or if you wanted to hear news and uh, uh, whatever. Radio was a beautiful thing. Free radio was a beautiful thing. And you had broadcast companies and owners whose front of mind was serving the community, doing their job, uh, who knew that if they did that, the dollars would follow. Uh, because you go to local merchants and they're saying, yes, I hear what you're saying on the air and I like you and I'll buy time with your radio station. And it was a beautiful thing. Uh, the Telecom Act in 1996 destroyed all of that and um, made it so that anybody can own as many radio stations as they want. In, there used in, to be in a, a single market. Uh, oh, in a single market a single and market. overall. I mean, look right. at uh, um, uh, iHeart. They, they oh, own well, yeah. hundreds and hundreds across the country. And it's all homogenized. Uh, quickly produced uh, stuff. The same song. It displaces local broadcasters. So it, finding a local station, that's partly why I came to this region. I got a job at K-Tide, a local radio station run like a local radio station with real people in it and selling to local merchants. It was old school. It was the closest uh, old school model you could get in 2015. That was why I came here in Las Vegas Almost all of the stations have abdicated to a larger corporation. Sure. Uh, Out-of-town programs with people that aren't in Vegas and don't know the local issues, but it they fills up three hours. Right. And they don't care either. Uh, right. And, and, and the real downside of it has been selling the ads. There's been a wholesale drop-off in what ads used to cost and, uh, you know, and what they cost now. Um, it's, they're actually cheaper, but they're crappy, and the programming's crappy. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Uh, well, I, it's and, been a downgrading ever since the Telecom Act, in my opinion. And I think that goes to something you just said, the homogenization, the sameness of all of those stations. Because even artist-wise, with the music that they're allowed, or that they like to broadcast, that they're allowed to broadcast, it's all the same across the same... Let's say you're in the same town, you three different stations are playing the same songs. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it, 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 and, and, and that also crowds out a lot of new talent and a lot of new different sounds, I know. man. It's in the hands of too few people who are way too conservative 
and um, and, and right, no sense of adventure, no sense of uh, discovery, and that's what we grew up. That's when I, that's what I wanted radio for: music discovery. The new song by mm, I'm going to hear it on the radio. Yeah, now right. it's so convoluted. Uh, that even if you get into a rock program, if you can find a rock radio station that cares, you're going to have to slog through a lot of crap to get to the stuff that brought you to radio in the first place. Yeah. KLOS in LA is, is a good example. They keep fluctuating between playing old familiar standards that we all love, Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, to not playing that stuff at all. And we get Sublime and Nickelback and, and a lot of uh, more modern bands, which I, I know those are popular and very good bands, but um, it gets away from the quote-unquote classic from the Rolling Stones and the Who. Do you want those bands side by side with those bands? Some people do, some people don't. I've always had a hard time with it. Well, so then in your opinion, what year does classic rock end? Uh, it already has. No, well, I mean, as far as programming-wise, let's say, does a classic rock station plays nothing oh. except from 78 54 uh, when all the listeners die oh, and you know i hate to say it but where none of us are getting any younger and my experience at k-tide was a good example that um it's harder and harder to get young people interested in it well and, because that's why i was asking because like you mentioned you know now you get some of these what are they can they they tote themselves as classic rock stations but playing nirvana and sublime at the same time and then offending people my generation to be like how dare you play my songs right on a classic rock station. Yeah, I know. And that's, like I said, that's... But how do you bring, as an entity, those other stations, I'm sorry, how do you bring the newer listeners? No, and and I have no answer to that, except you do play some of those tracks by those bands. And I did that at K-Tide. Brad J., our evening guy, mm -hmm. who's right over the hill from me here in, in La Conchita. Shout out um, to Brad J. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he uh, rattled my cage and said, look, if you add this or that track, and he gave me a, a list of songs, he says, why don't we try some of these on my show? We did. It worked. We got good response on it. Um, but... There's, there's, like I said, it's percentage and not overdoing it and, sure. and not losing the identity of the radio station above all. We're Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Beatles, right. Stones, Who, right. radio station. So uh, uh, I, I kept it along those lines. I had my own unique um, little spikes I would put in there that, that set K-Tide apart from other stations like it. Some of those things are still there. It's very gratifying to listen on the weekends. Some of the stuff I put in there is still because there. Because those are the questions that I ask myself when I'm grouping artists, let's say, into the classic rock category. Yeah. You know, come across something that's like, ooh, okay, where does this fall? Very good. And that's your programmer like me. Uh, and and it, it's a matter of flow. And you don't want to play the Scorpions after you've played uh, uh, some ballad. Uh, sure. Actually, uh, once I heard on a station around here, uh, Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia, this brooding, soft thing, and then the Scorpions came on right after. I was like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Somebody's not minding the well, store here. I and, mean, that, that and happens. You, you have to be I've, mindful. That, you that, know? that happens. I've had, uh, you know, Dolly Parton. I've had Tupac come on after Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> you know? As long as there's like E minor in both songs, and, uh, and you know, you, you can get away with it to a degree. You really, honestly, to God, you, know, you can't uh, uh, always limit it by artists. I mean, that's that's a, would seem to be a glaring example, but you'd be surprised too how many times something can work because the notes are the same, the mm -hmm. message is the same, sure. and, yeah. and an attuned listener, which is another thing. 
that uh, radio doesn't seem to care about anymore, attuned listeners who actually know more about the music than you do or more about the music than the jock does or want to know more. It's like those are... The, the, I've worked something. with so many radio people, consultants and management people that the, those people are a pain in the ass. We don't even like those listeners, so they don't cater to them. Those listeners go away and they listen to their CDs and they listen to streaming uh, or whatever. They are, they're they a there's, lost cause and look, they were the lifeblood of radio for so long. There's a very sophisticated younger audience listening because they have so many options, radio stations need to realize that there's not list most listeners, most young people that I know, they're not listening to one genre all day. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is a great thing. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Because again, it goes back to the kids are all right. Yep. You know, the kids are gonna be okay. Um but terrestrial radio doesn't a lot of it, at least a lot of corporate terrestrial radio doesn't reflect that. No. No, it's uh, a lot of stuff shoved down your throat, basically, and um, and feedback from listeners is not encouraged. I was actually told by the consultant at K-Tide Kids to not listen to the listeners. He was very frustrated by a lot of stuff I was playing that the listeners told me they wanted to hear. Sure. And uh, and so that's kind of a, just a little microcosm of what well, I'm talking yeah, about. It's like, yeah, well, they don't know anything. We're the people who know stuff, and you chase people away that way. Yeah, because corp. Well, because we have to remember, corporate music is there to build up corporate music. This is what you're going to play because this is what people want. Yeah. Because this is the only thing we play, and that's what they listen to. Right. You know? Yeah. So it, that's what they're it's requesting. It's a snake that eats itself. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they're requesting. Well, yeah, because that's all you're playing. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, at yeah. any rate, Dennis, hey man, thanks a lot for the time. <laughs> thanks for turning the tables on me. I did not expect that. It was very delightful. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll cut this and uh, do something with it, but no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you asking me to be on your show, man. That's a lot of fun. We're going to have you back you. very, very soon. Alex Robles, that. host of uh, In My Grow. I'm Dennis Mitchell. This is Something to Carp About, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was a great time, man. It was right. awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon.